Welcome to the Shays Lounge. You've got Cricket. And this is Vaughn. And we're here for another week. And thank you so much for joining us. We are so glad to have you as our listeners. Yep. I don't know how many we have this week or last week, but one's always better than none. And if you're number two or three, then hey, thank you for listening. And we hope that you will reach out to us on all of our social media because we love getting comments. It is so cool when somebody reaches out and lets us know what they like and what they don't like and you know how we can improve the show or how we're awesome. Well, what we need to start doing is some of these comments that we're getting, we need to start mentioning it. We will. We absolutely will. Bring it up and say, hey, somebody said this, and so we want to start trying to do better with that or different things like that speaking of i actually have one that i can mention here let me find it it is from my friend erin who said she was helping me out um we were talking i can't remember if it was last week or if it was a couple of weeks ago we were talking about why you need the big long um q-tip for the covid testing why can't, uh, okay. why can't you just cough into, you know, because it's in your mouth, why can't you just cough and, and uh, you know, just take the, take the test that way? Well, she has a friend, my friend Erin has a friend in Seattle, and her whole job is about germs and communicable diseases and studying them in a lab setting. So Erin reached out to her friend on our behalf, and she sent me the answer. So basically... Um, her her friend answered back, basically, it's the surface area. The further f- back you go, the more likely it is you will find the virus. Um, we aren't exactly 100% sure what the etiology of the virus is, but you know that some people get sicker than others, and some people will test negative by a simple nasal swab where they will pe- test positive if you get further back. So it has to do with concentrations. Right. But see, when you had to get tested, didn't they try to touch your brain? The first time, yes. The second time, not so much. Okay, so I wonder why they changed it up. Um, I think they're working on better testing, um, more, um, you know, quicker testing, uh, stuff that doesn't take, you know, 15 days to get your results back. Um, They're always trying to improve. Improving on the testing. Exactly. Well, that makes sense. I mean, it's been around long enough. They need to start coming up ways to improve on... Testing and to figure out ways we can actually prevent people from getting it so easily. Yeah, exactly. And in a big way to do that, wear your mask, people. It's not that difficult. It's not difficult. It's a little bit of an inconvenience. I understand. I understand it's hot outside. You know, I was at work today. It was 97 degrees outside and about 85 or 90% humidity. And I wore my mask, and it's a cloth mask. Um, It's nice and thick so that I don't breathe on anybody. I'm not wearing it to prevent myself from catching something from somebody else. I'm wearing it to to prevent me from spreading any germs to to my customers. Right. Um, And that's the whole point of wearing a mask. You're not doing it to prevent the disease from getting to you. You're doing it to prevent the disease from getting to somebody else. Because you may have it and not even know it yet. Exactly. So if we all wear the mask then we're all protected. And there are some people who legitimately cannot wear a mask. And for those people, if the rest of us wear a mask, then they're protected. So it's all about giving a crap about your fellow man 
Um, yeah, but all these stores that have the signs up say, hey, you are required by law in, in this state right now, if you're in a public place, have a mask. If you don't wear a mask, then you should not be allowed in. Because those places make reasonable accommodations. Correct. For people who have a, and I'm going to emphasize this, a legitimate medical condition for not being able to wear one. And not wanting to is not a legitimate medical condition. Exactly. So just get that out of your head right now. And if you have one of those legitimate things, that doesn't give you the right just to go up into the store. They have to make accommodations for you. The curbside service or different things like that. But that's just a whole different thing. But they just got to figure I've, out different ways to do that. Well, I've seen these these cards that have been going around Facebook. Oh, the um, fake cards? The fake, yeah, they're, they're cards that you're supposed to hand out that says, I have a medical condition that prevents me from wearing a mask. According to the uh, Americans with Disabilities Act and HIPAA, you're not, you're not allowed to ask me what that medical condition is, and you're supposed to let me inside. Well, no, that's not what the ADA says. The Americans with Disabilities Act says that if you are a danger to others, you are not to be allowed inside whatever building it is. And if you don't have a mask, you are a danger to others. Exactly. If you're considered a reasonable threat. So um, that part of it goes against the ADA. And then if the store is providing reasonable accommodations, such as curbside service or deliveries, which, for example, Walmart does, then that falls under the ADA as well as, as a reasonable accommodation. Reasonable accommodation doesn't mean do it my way or you'll get in trouble. Well, that little card thing, I saw well, like, it was for some group. I can't remember the exact name of it. It was something about... The Freedom Am- Breathers or something. Americans for the right to breathe freely or something. I just yeah. like, that's just dumb. Well, if you look up the website, I think the website has been taken down now. Oh, has because it? Because it's a fake website. Right. And, and they were trying to hand out these cards. And I, I'm waiting for somebody to hand me one of those cards um, where I work because I've already been yelled at several times about the fact that I wear a mask. Um, Did you have some guy yell at you say that he was offended because you wore a mask because yes. he was a patriot? Yes, he was a patriot and he didn't believe in COVID-19 and he didn't, he believed, he, he be, was a believer in freedom and me wearing a mask meant that I didn't believe in freedom and he was a patriot and he wanted to make sure I knew that. And he, he told me all of this in a very loud tone of voice, which was just completely unnecessary. His poor wife was just sitting there listening to him yell at me. I ended up telling him to leave the premises because I was not going to deal with somebody that was that aggressive. And uh, we made him leave. Yeah, I couldn't have a job like you have because I, I would not last long. Well, let me tell you what happened today. Because people would come up to me like that and I, I would say things that would greatly shorten my, my career there <laughs> see i i'm the same way but i've learned to kind of temper that a little bit i guess bit. that's the best part about wearing a mask because you can mouth off somebody to go f themselves and and they'll never know they'll never know, they'll never know. And i guess that makes to make you feel better by it saying does, it okay. it does make me feel better because i do that i do that exact thing but uh, let me tell you what happened at work today uh so i had to work this is a saturday so i had to work this was my saturday to work and one of the first customers that I dealt with today, um, I'm not going to go into where I work, but let's just 
leave it at when you come up to purchase what I sell. Pay for your the services of your establishment. Pay for the services of my establishment. You have to have a credit or debit card in your name. Okay. It has to match your ID. We may think of a different way to say that because that sounds like you're running a, a hooker house. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not. Well, when you pay for the services at my establishment. <laughs> well, I'm not. I'm not running a whorehouse. That's, that's okay. not. That's not what it is. But, but you have to have. A, this this involves knowing who you are, matching your ID to the reservation that you made, and the reservation has to match the ID, which has to match the payment card. And if those three things do not match, you will not be receiving services. You will not be a, a current customer. You will not be a current customer of where I work. That's a good way to put it. Thank you. Thank you, Vaughn. So... Um, this person did not have a payment card in their name. They were trying to use their husband's. And I was like, well, can't do it that way. So what I can do is I can just back completely out of this transaction. And we can put this transaction under your husband's name so that he can use his card. Well, I did all of that. And I still, to this, to this day, to this hour, have no idea what I did to piss off the husband but when I came back outside to finish the transaction, he hit the roof. Um, started cussing at me. Started telling me that my establishment could go F itself. And that I could go F, its, uh, go F myself. And all because I wouldn't let them use two separate cards to pay for one transaction. And all because I wouldn't let his wife use her card... Because her card didn't have enough money on it, and his card wasn't in her name. So, just absolutely hit the roof for no reason. And so I had to keep my cool, and they told me to go F myself, and that my corporation could go F itself, and then they left, flipped me off as they, as they were leaving, and then left the premises. And then it wasn't two hours later that I had somebody else come in and unfortunately, I was not able to fulfill the request that they had made. Um, and I won't go into why, but they were very upset about the fact that I was not able to fulfill their request. And when I was letting them know this, they got very aggressive and very yelly and started yelling at me. And well, it was probably your fault. Oh, yeah, totally. Totally my <laughs> fault. Absolutely, 100%. Uh, but I told them as they continued to yell at me and I took it for about 15 minutes, just them just yelling at me and just me taking it and customers standing around listening to this. Oh, probably wasn't 15 minutes. That's a really long time. It was probably closer to 10, but it felt like forever. And I finally told them, you know what? We're done here. Bye-bye. Bye. And they said, who's your boss? And I said, today I'm the boss. And they said, you can't tell me that the buck stops with you. And I said, ma'am, today it does. I said, if you'd like to talk with my boss, I can give them your number and my boss will call you on Monday. So you mean you're not going to take care of us? I said, that's exactly what I said, sir. You have a wonderful winner, day. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. You have a wonderful day. And, so, and, and it was... It, you, and you, you have to understand... When you're in retail, when you're in a service-based business like I'm in, 
we want to help you guys. We want to make money off of you, okay? Because it does me no good to not make money off of you. I want you to give you, I want you to give me your money. But if you show your butt, I can take the hit. It's fine. Losing I can go. that one person as a customer is not going to shut you down. It is not. And when you show your butt, I have absolutely no reason to bend over backwards to help you. Now, if you're kind and ask for things as opposed to demanding things, I'll go out of my way to help you. You know, if you're having a rough day, I'll, I'll do what I can to make that day better. But the second you start insulting me as a person, the second you start denigrating me as a person or putting me down or trying to make me feel bad about myself because of what I do, we're done. I have no reason to help you anymore. You can leave the property. You can get effed. So that was my day to day. I was at work for three hours. And I had two customers cuss me out, all because they were not happy. Poor babies. Poor babies. So that was, <laughs> yes. Fun-filled day at work so for three hours. It was a fun-filled day. And then I came home, and, and I was out in the sun for all three hours because my job involves me. We, we can't allow, due to COVID-19, we can't allow people to come into the store. We have to go out and meet them. And uh, so I was out in the sun for those three hours. So I came home with a headache and... I've had a headache. Basically, I've got a headache now. <laughs> <laughs> so I have not felt good today. And it has really, it, it's really sucked. But hopefully, I've, I've taken some ibuprofen again. So I'm hoping maybe my headache will go away. Vaughn cooked for me tonight. It was so nice. He made breakfast for dinner. It was so good. So good. The best kind of crispy bacon. I like my bacon crispy. I like my bacon to be maple cured. Or, ba- or brown sugar cured. With I like the little bit of sweetness on my bacon, and I like it really crispy. And he cooked it perfectly. It was great. We had biscuits and eggs and eggs. Didn't do the farm fresh eggs because unfortunately the farm fresh eggs turned out to be bad. Yeah, they were not good. But uh, regular store bought eggs. You know, I guess those will work in a pinch. And uh, jelly and bacon and and it was awesome. So thank you, Vaughn, for coming. And then we're going to have steaks for lunch tomorrow. They're marinating as we speak. And they smell so good. Oh, my gosh. Home brew marination. So are you going to give people... Now, of course, we have secret ingredients in our marination that we can't tell people what they are because they are secret ingredients. There's just a lot of different things that go in there. Give them a few examples of what we put in there. Our base is Dr. Pepper. Dr. Pepper. You put Dr. Pepper in there because that breaks apart the... The The carbonation. The the carbonation breaks apart the meat and makes it so tender. And then, you know, you got your liquid smoke and the Worcestershire sauce. Touch of brandy. Touch of brandy, yeah. Touch of brandy. And then let that that soak for a while. And then you add in your other spices. And those other spices are a proprietary blend. (laughs) <laughs> that we've a lot come of up different with, things that we've we've come up with over the perfected years. over the years. We have to your clicky point. pen is very loud. Yep, that's why I'm not allowed clicky pens. Um, but yeah, it's, so we're gonna have steaks tomorrow. They're gonna marinate all night. night, 
and yes. they soak up that flavor. Oh my goodness, so much. And then uh, I, I'm not sure if we're going to break out the grill, if we're going to break out the, the pan tomorrow. But um, well, I would have to. I'd have to make another run to town because I don't have any uh, propane for the tank. You know, and, and we do use propane because we want to taste, taste the, the meat, meat, not, not the, the heat. heat. <laughs> So I think we're probably going to break out the skillet, or not the yeah. skillet, but the pan. Yeah. And uh, pan fry the, the steaks. Well, it's been turning out pretty good. I mean, it's not as good done. as putting them on a grill, Mm-mm. but... You want those grill marks, bud. Yeah. Now, we do go over... Uh, we, we don't just use salt and pepper on our steaks, I will say that. S&P is not for me. we got to have a little bit more. Oh, no. Well, I, I, it's about six or seven different things I put on there. Yeah. At least. Yeah, at least. And it's a process. <laughs> and if you cook them right, especially with these ribeyes, oh. Oh, my goodness. And they're beautifully marbled ribeyes. Leave the knives in the silverware drawer because you don't need them. That's exactly right. Those steaks just, I mean, they just come apart. They're just, they're amazing. And Vaughn likes his medium rare. Right. And I like mine blue. Mooing. I like it oh. mooing. Yes. I don't know if you guys, okay, so if, if you know your steaks, you know that there is rare, medium rare, medium, medium well, and well. Well, there is one that people don't I mention. I thought well is just another name for leather. It is. It's basically just boot leather. Right. And that's terrible. And, and all of you that cook your steaks well done should be ashamed of yourself, and you probably eat ketchup on your steaks, and I'm not going to be your friend anymore. Well, you have to put ketchup or A1 sauce, something like that, steak sauce of some kind on your steak if you cook it well done yeah because it doesn't have any taste anymore because i had a friend of mine that's all he ever ate he said growing up was well done steaks with a1 sauce right and i'm like dude don't tell me you just went and bought a ribeye steak and you got it well done i was like i'm leaving (laughs) it's like get it tell him to change it do it medium rare just trust me you don't need all the extra crap so he did it and he has not eaten another well done steak since I can't remember when I first tried a medium steak or a medium rare steak uh, because growing up, my mother taught me that the way that you tell if a steak was finished was when it stopped sizzling. That's how you tell. That's how you could tell if it was done. At that and, point, you can stretch it out, poke some holes through it, and you got yourself a belt. Exactly. And, and to this day, my dad still eats well-done steak, and I don't know how he does it. So that's what I grew up eating was well-done steak, and I had no idea that there was anything else out there. Well, that's how I grew up eating mine until I was in college. Mm-hmm. And I think it was my junior year in college was my first time to eat a steak that was not well-done, and I was, I've been in love ever since. I had to have been in college when I ate something other than a well-done steak because that's when I first started kind of stretching my wings on, on all of this stuff. And uh, I remember I, I kept getting it more and more rare just to see if I liked it. Right. And I like rare steaks, and, and, and rare steaks are, are good, but I really like blue steaks. Yeah, because when we go out to eat, if she orders a steak, we'll say, okay, man, well, how would you like it cooked? <laughs> we just tell him, say, look, just tell your chef however the least amount he can cook it and legally still serve it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they kind of look at me and are like, yes, that's how she wants it. Yeah, and it's if they if they cook it right, it's just run a candle across both sides of it and bring it out to the table, and right. I'll eat it just like that. It's it's so if it's if it's marinated correctly, 
which and that's that's the key. You got to marinate them correctly for it right. to taste right. Um, otherwise, it's just you know a piece a slab of meat that you're trying to eat, and uh, that that's not good for anyone. No. So. So what else are we going to talk about? What else have we done this week? Ooh, we finished another puzzle this week. We did finish another. We did puzzle. finish one a couple weeks ago. So uh, tell me about the one we did before. It's a Mandalorian and Baby Yoda. Baby Yoda. That one took us a couple weeks to. Nah, that probably took us about two or three weeks to finish. That took two or three weeks to finish because um, it is a beautiful. It's a beautiful puzzle, but most of the pieces were all gray and brown. Right. And so they were really hard to distinguish from one another. And so we would come through and we would get like one piece and we'd figure out where it went. Right. And then like two days later, we'd find another piece. And it was just really difficult, you know, sitting down in these little chunks to, to finish this puzzle. So it, it, it probably took us a good three weeks to finish the puzzle. Yeah. It was a 500-piece puzzle. But once we finished it, got the Mod Podge put on there, and once it cured for a couple of weeks, glued it to a down to one of those thick pieces of poster board and got mm-hmm. it on the wall in the game room now. Yeah, and it looks really good. Yeah. And then we got another one. And this one is Game of Thrones Fire and Ice. It's like fire on one side and all the blue and the cold looking on the other side with the ice dragon on one side, the two fire breathing dragons on the other side. It's got the 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 throne in the center and the Night King is on it. Yeah, the Night King is on the bottom with his arms outstretched. Right. Pointing to either side of, of the You don't have to make the, the motion with your hand. People can't see you. But I can see me, and that's what it's important. But I want to make a comment about this, pu- this um, puzzle because the makers of this puzzle are very lucky right now because I was about to find out where they live, knock on their door, and when they open it, I was going to sucker punch them right in the face. <laughs> Tell them why. Because as we're going through this puzzle... We find a duplicate piece. There was a duplicate piece. And so our first thought was, son of a gun, we're going to be missing a piece now. And then later on, actually earlier today, when my daughter and I finished it, we found another duplicate piece. What just so happens to actually connect to the other duplicate piece that we found previously <laughs> And we were having, when we got it down like to the last 20 or 30 pieces to go on this 500 piece puzzle. And like we, we were going through them just trying to find like a certain one and we could not find it. And we finally just like, you know what? I bet you that's one of the pieces that we're missing. But luckily, it was just a 502 piece puzzle set. The makers are living happily right now. No bloody noses. So everything's good. They're off the hook. They're off the hook. But I was getting very, very upset. <laughs> but that, but this puzzle was a lot easier to put up. And it was a lot easier because it's in thirds. Because you've got the left third is all red and, and, and orange, orange, orange red colors, fire colors. The middle third is uh, is the Iron Throne. So and and a White Walker. So it's kind of a gray, but it's easy to figure out where the pieces go and then the rightmost third is the ice dragon so everything is in blues and purples so it was really easy to figure out okay all of these pieces that are red go on the left side so we'll put all those together because we did the typical puzzle thing we got the base the outside done got the corners then we we separated out the blue pieces with the red pieces and then the gray pieces 
And it, so it actually it actually made it a whole lot easier putting this puzzle together than the than the one of the Mandalorian. But now I'm out of puzzles, and so went to go get more to another one today, and they didn't have one that I liked. We they were, did have one that was kind of cool looking. It was a it uh, really Justice was. League one. But the reason I didn't get it is because the artwork was not that good on the puzzle. It what was weird about it? It was a Thomas Kincaid puzzle, but it was DC's The Justice League. So I couldn't figure out how Thomas Kincaid go, because he's he's known for landscapes and these kind of ethereal scenes, not for superheroes that's that's not what thomas kincaid does yeah so it's weird i don't know if that's if the thomas kincaid was just like a puzzle brand and that's what it, it yeah fell under, well, well that too and i'm just i'm not as big on dc as i am marvel yeah i mean i've always been more i more favored toward marvel than dc yeah and, and i think i, I think, mean batman i know people just think batman hung the freaking moon but I, I, I mean, I, I like Batman, but he's nowhere near one of my favorites. Superman's not. I mean, none of those really if really could, catch me. Like if Wonder Woman and that first Wonder Woman movie, that was a good movie. I enjoy that character. Because it was written and directed by a woman for a woman. But it, but it was an amazing show. It was very... I, I really enjoyed it. They did a really good it. job with Wonder Woman. And her and Flash were the best part of Justice League. If they could so. figure out how to tell a compelling Superman story, he would be a good character. But so far... You know how you get a good not, Superman movie? Well, take his powers away. No, you know how you make a good Superman movie? How? DC sells Superman to Marvel. There you go. <laughs> Maybe you got a good you got a good Superman or movie. or let uh, what is the uh, Patty Patty Jenkins is that the lady that directed uh, that directed Wonder Woman let her direct all the DC movies and then you'll have good movies because apparently she knows what she's doing she did a really good job with Wonder Woman yeah and and I've heard that Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four is just as good which I don't know when we're gonna get it it was supposed to be released already and and then with COVID you know yeah. everything has just gone to crap in a handbasket pushed everything back. Yeah, so I don't. I don't know. I'm ready for more Marvel movies. I'm ready for more Marvel movies. I'm ready for more movies. Period. I, I miss right. going to see movies. Yeah, that, I'm, that, I'm not going to risk it, but I do miss. That is something that I. I miss. mean, the popcorn's almost worth risking it, but you know, because there, there, there's been movies that we've gone to. I was just like, hey, we should like, oh, will you go watch this movie with me? And I'm like, uh, I'll, you can get popcorn. I'm in. <laughs> I get my popcorn. I don't give a dang what's on that screen. <laughs> as long as I get my popcorn, I'm happy. Well, one movie that I watched um, here the other day that I kind of want to get Vaughn to watch, which I don't think he's going to like it. Um, it's the musical, probably not. Um, I probably will Hamilton. not sit down. Yeah. Because, yeah, I'm not going to. Now, he, he liked The Greatest Showman. My time, to me, is valuable, and I'm probably not going to use much of it doing that. <laughs> Now, if you want to like give me a foot massage or a back massage or something like that while we're watching it, man, I'll watch anything you want. I don't care. I, I'll, I mean, I was the other day, I was sitting down there on the couch with you while you were rubbing my feet, and I was watching my 600-pound life or whatever <laughs> that show was and these people was uh, in their mind. I've, well, I've gotten hooked on, and, and my taste in TV and, and movies, it evolves over time. You know, I'll, I'll watch something like crazy for months on end and then I'll go back and I'll never watch it again. Like I used to watch um, 
Say Yes to the Dress all the time. Every weekend I would watch Say Yes to the Dress just on repeat. And I haven't watched Say Yes to the Dress in I know a year. Yeah. I I just haven't done it because, you know, you you watch a whole bunch of it and then it all kind of turns into the same thing. It's the same thing. It's these same people going to these same places over and over and it's always... Oh well, I have a modest budget. I'm a, I can only spend like eight thousand dollars on my dress, or I can only spend fifty thousand. Now it was on cool. The one it was a true, it was a true African couple, and it was like a prince and a princess from Africa. Yeah, and they were like, you saw the dollar signs pop up in these people's eyes because they're like because they just no told them it's like, there there's no budget here. Yeah, it's whatever she wants. Right. If it's the most expensive dress you have, then so be it. We can afford it. Because they were just, you know. Can you imagine the commission that that girl made that day? Right. Oh, because these these sales. You no, know, she probably took a vacation commission. for like two years after that. Probably. I was oh like, I goodness. got my commission check. Deuces, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, and I'll and I'll watch stuff like that. But here recently, I have been watching just the trashiest, terrible reality shows like My Six Hundred Pound Life. And 90 Day Fiance. And I cannot explain to you why I'm watching these, but I have gotten so emotionally invested in 90 Day Fiance that it's not even funny. Not, not uh, 90 Day Fiance, um, the one with Big Ed. Where are they now or something like that? Well, it, it, some of that is, is where are they now. Because uh, they're, they're showing the COVID edition because they can't show it. But uh, the season that I started watching... Uh, 90 Day Fiance is the one with Big Ed and Ash. And, and Big Ed's a little short guy. Big Ed's a little short guy, yeah, with no neck. Uh, but we like Big Ed. I like Big Ed. And so Vaughn was actually sitting on the couch watching some of this trashy reality stuff with me because he loves me enough to want to spend time with me even though he has absolutely no desire to watch any of this crap that I'm watching. At all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do appreciate you doing this stuff for me. The sacrifices I make. Oh, it's so terrible. <sighs> so terrible for you. <laughs> <laughs> and then we we do have HBO. So um, in, instead of watching trashy reality shows, you know, Vaughn will try to find movies to watch. Now, we could sit down and watch another episode or two of Game of Thrones because we started rewatching that. We did. We could watch some more of The Witcher. Or The Witcher. Uh, I'll be happy we, with either one of those. Now, we watched, when The Witcher came out, we binged it as much as we could every single night that we were together. And we binged, I think we finished it in a week and a half. If it took that long. Yeah, because we, we were only able to watch like an episode a night or an episode every other night. So, um, so yeah, we watched like an episode a night and we finished the whole series. I mean, quick. And we're going back and, and you knowing, ah, man, I don't want to give away the twist. But just, I know, just it's, knowing, it's been long enough. It's been oh, long enough. Somebody may not have. It's just knowing how, knowing the, every, how everything now. tied in together. When you go back and watch it a second time, you're kind of, you keep looking at each other and pointing at the TV going, oh, <laughs> oh. Oh, okay. I get it's it like, now. Oh, they were telling you that yeah, from the beginning. Yeah, they told you, you that. It. Just wasn't paying attention. Wasn't paying attention. Or didn't know you needed to pay attention. Right. And, and that's the thing. And then about episode four, you're like, well, the first time you watch it, you're like, oh, I get it now. 
And then episode six comes along and you're like, oh, oh okay. Okay. okay, okay, okay. Now it's really starting to make sense because up until about episode four, The Witcher was fun to watch, but you had no clue what you were watching because none of it tied together. And then all of a sudden in episode four, bam, ties together. Yeah. And so it was really neat watching that. So. And of course, the video games of The Witcher went through the roof too after right after that show come on TV. So absolutely, everybody started like, "I wonder how the game is." Well, the game is just like the show. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's very good. So, so we've talked about the puzzle. What other puzzle are we are we looking for? It's gonna have. Well, we got a Mandalorian, Star Wars. We got a Game of Thrones. I gotta find something Marvel. Next. It, it would be it would be neat to get a Marvel puzzle. It would be neat to get a Witcher puzzle. I mean, because we kind of do geeky things, you know, like right. Now, one I'd love to find a puzzle of, and I've seen the pictures before, like on posters. It's got almost every Marvel character in there, mm-hmm. and it looks like they're all about to go to war. You've got the good on one side, the bad on the other. You've got some other people that are kind of hanging out in the middle because you kind really... of like Deadpool because you're not sure which side he falls. Well, on. Deadpool, uh, you know, Magneto's kind of been around. Uh, there's different ones that are kind of like more toward the center, and mm-hmm. you can tell the way that I think they did that on purpose because even though they're going head on toward the other people, the ones in the front are like we're also they're not only the leaders but they're the ones that are kind of. I'll go either way. Yeah. You know. Let me see how this is going to start to turn out before I decide which side I'm fighting on. I mean, you've got the ones in the front front lines like, you know, like Wolverine's going to always be. He's always a good guy. He's always going to be right there in the front because he's just going to, he's just that kind of character. Professor X is always a good guy. Yeah. Lawful good every single time. Right. So uh, that's the kind of puzzle I'm looking for. Yeah. It'd be neat to have. Well, I think we can get on Amazon tonight, actually. And Yeah, we'll see what we can find on we'll there. We'll see what we can find. So, uh, Oh, there was something I, I looked in sports the other day that kind of caught my attention. Now, I, I'm not really, I'm not a bet, I'm not a gambler. So I wasn't really sure, I don't know how the whole, the Vegas lines and all that crap work, mm-hmm. right? But I was listening to ESPN Radio the other day, and they were talking about how some team that had an MVP, a reigning MVP gave them like another half a win on the on the on the betting line or something. So that got me thinking about other sports and right. these other teams, and what kind of impact an MVP player has on a team. Okay. And what was crazy, now I only had a chance to look up two, two of the sports. And if I did it correctly, which I, I'm not 100% sure I did, but I'm pretty sure I did. But in two of the major sports, which are hockey and baseball that I looked up, almost 75% of the teams that had the previous year's MVP mm-hmm. had fewer wins the next season. Wow. So they went from having the best guy in the league to so not like, being you know, as good. Well, it's like say if a, like in baseball, if a team won eighty five games, okay, and they had the reigning MVP, okay, 
then like seventy five percent of the time that next season they had eighty five when they when they had a player that won the MVP. The next season they may they may have only got eighty. Mm-hmm. There was one that got the same amount of wins two years in a row, and I think that was in a hot in a NHL. But and there was only a couple of times in each sport where the team that had the reigning MVP actually got more wins than what they did the year that their player won the MVP. Wow. And I, that was that very really interesting makes you to wonder. me. I mean, does it does the morale suffer? Do they get lazy? Do they get so I don't know if they I mean, surely they don't get complacent because I mean, yeah, they're they're under contract. But when they're in that last season of their contract, that's usually when they do better. Because they're like, well, if I want to get paid, I better have a good season. Right. So I'm sure stuff like that kind of has something to do with it. But I'm now not that, – because there's a lot of incentives put that, in contracts. That's a good question. We need to have Rando back on the on the podcast, and we need to ask him what he sees, you know, because he's plugged into hockey, and, and you said, you know, NHL is um, the one that, that – it didn't happen the same way for everybody else, so I wonder why. But him being... But it was like that for the MLB also. Okay. Not just NHL. Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm like talking about both sports. Almost every... Because like, I went back and looked over the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. And almost every one of them on both sports... Has done worse than... Has done worse the previous season. That's except crazy. for like once or twice for each league in the last 10 years. That's crazy. Yeah, so I was like... I mean, because it kind of got me so thinking. So, like, no team that, has had the MVP two years in a row is what you're saying. Well, I mean, but they may have had the MVP, but they didn't do as well the next year. Or they, that might have been one of the few times that they actually did. Mm-hmm. So, it makes me wonder if, like, having a player on your team get the MVP, is that kind of like the Madden curse? Because <laughs> you know the Madden curse, right? Yeah, it will explain to everybody what the Madden curse is. Well, the, the, the Madden football game came out comes out every year for like several years in a row. Every time a player got put on the cover, that player the next year either had a horrible year or got injured and missed almost the whole year. <laughs> yeah. I so it was that. like people were like turning down being put on the cover of a video game. Right. Because they're like, oh, hell no. Uh-uh. You ain't putting me on that thing. No, sir. Well, if, you know, players of any sport are superstitious as hell. Oh, yeah. They're not superstitious, but they are a little stitious. No, there's no little stitious. <laughs> no, I mean, they're, de- they're definitely stitious. You, you watch stitious. a guy get up to the to the plate when he goes to bat in baseball. They they, they're going to do the rituals. same thing every time. They're going to... Pull the the Velcro on their batting gloves on each hand twice. They're gonna mess with their necklace. They're gonna mess with the brim of their hat, their their helmet. They're gonna tap the bat a certain way on their foot or on the plate. They're gonna do the same thing every time because it's repetition. I wish I could remember which pitcher it was that I was watching, but when uh, when Vaughn was over the road uh, truck driving and he was gone all the time. I would call him at night where he didn't have a TV and I would call these games for him so that he could follow along with the baseball uh, postseason and or with the playoff season. And 
he could kind of know what was going on. Now, we're not going to go into how terrible I am at calling a baseball game because I am terrible at it. But he at least was getting the gist of what was going on. And one of the pitchers I was laughing at because he would throw a pitch and then he would immediately straighten back up and he, he was wearing two necklaces. And one necklace had to go inside his jersey and the other one went outside his jersey. And it was the same one every time. And I watched him do it. And I watched him arrange these necklaces every single time before he pitched. And then he would throw his pitch, and then he would fix the necklaces again. And it was so funny watching. I just wish I could remember which pitcher it was that was doing that. Well, I mean, I I did the same thing when I pitched. I mean, I was always, you know, I I would get on the mound a certain way every time. I would approach the mound the same way every time. I never walked straight up to the rubber. Mm -hmm. I always walked... Hey, okay. So always, what you hear in the background is our daughter is getting is getting some water. <laughs> that was her. Thank you, honey, for the water and the chugga 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 of the water jug. But anyway, <laughs> I, I did the, the same thing. The fun things that happen when you when you're creating you know, a podcast I, I would, in your own home. I would always approach the mound from the back, right? Every single time. Um. You know, you stand on the rubber the exact same way. You stand in the same spot the exact same way. I I wore my hat differently because uh, when I was playing like in summer leagues, I didn't always pitch. You know, I, I got to play some of the other bases. You know, some other positions sometimes. Every now I got to play first and outfield. I wore my hat differently depending on what position I was playing. If I was pitching, it wore, I wore it a certain way. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I wore it like the brim would be way down on my on my head. So, I mean, it just, I don't know why, I just did, you mm-hmm. know. But there's, and then you have these batters that, and every, I caught, I've caught some before that had a nice little long routine once they got in the batter's box. And, you you know, a lot of times you'll see them, they'll get in the box and they'll, they'll hold their hand up to the umpire, tell the umpire, hey, tell the guy to wait just a second. But I've had a guy, I remember I had a guy in high school. He got in the box and he was doing his little routine thing. And I noticed that he was not telling the umpire to stop. So I told my catcher about this, and I said, next time he gets up in the box, I'm going to get one on him. And he got up, he got in the, he got in the little batter's box, he started doing his little routine thing, and I quick I quick pitched his butt. I went through my <laughs> windup as quick, quick as I could, and I zipped one right past him into the catcher's mitt. It scared the crap out of him because he was not paying attention at all. He was looking down at the plate doing this little bat tap on the plate, and the ball went right by his face and into the catcher's mitt, and it was a strike. <laughs> it scared the crap out of that dude. He didn't know what the hell was going on. Their 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 coach was pissed off about it, and the umpire's like, he's in the box. When you get in the box, you're ready to bat. If you're not paying attention, <laughs> that's his fault. Right. He didn't call. Hey, he didn't, he didn't say, hey, wait till he got away, nothing. He got in there. So I quick pitched him. Needless to say, he, he was a little bit more careful about what he did after that. I can imagine. Because he imagine. had no idea that ball was coming into it. It went right past his head and into the catcher's mitt for a strike. It now, was great. I don't know if you remember. I'm sure you don't remember watching this episode, but we used to watch Malcolm in the Middle uh, when we would come home. Because Vaughn and I used to work um, on the same shift um, overnight. And we would get home about 3.30 in the morning. 
and we would watch reruns of TV like um, Malcolm in the Middle and uh, Two and a Half Men and, you know, Charmed and, and, you know, all these other reruns. And what we're talking about reminds me of an episode of Malcolm in the Middle that we watched where Hal was bowling the perfect game. Do you remember this episode? Vaguely. He was bowling the perfect game, and every time when he realized he had thrown a strike, he tried to recreate what he had just done. Yep. Every single thing he just did, and he added one thing to it. And then by the time he got to that last strike, he was doing so many different things in his little warm-up routine and he had a crowd of people behind him, and he would do his little shimmy, and you know, do the, you know, tweak his collar a certain way, and and you know, kiss the ball, and do all this other stuff that he had added into his little routine. He was doing like twenty things by the time he got done, and he ended up bowling a perfect game. It was hilarious, but it just kind of goes into the whole superstition of. Well, that's like what, even with my glove that I had. Uh huh. You know, I had a, and I can't I, product placement, but Nakona. I'm going to say it, Nakona. That was the best dang glove I've ever had in my life. I mm-hmm. had this glove for probably eight or nine years. Best $150 ever spent on a glove in my life. But, you know, it would start stretching out, and I would tighten up the laces on it. Mm-hmm. And I would not cut the laces off. Right. I had some of these laces hanging off the tips of this glove were probably six to eight inches. Right. But I would sit there, and I would twist my hand my, my glove hand back and forth every time after i'd get the ball back from the catcher as i'm walking up to the mound uh-huh. I, would, I would twitch the glove so i could, and i could hear the you hear the, the flip 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 yeah. flip on the glove you know and, and that was a superstition uh like i can remember even in high school every time i'd strike somebody out if there's nobody on base you know they always throw the ball around uh-huh. well we always did it the same way i would you know he'd throw it to the third baseman who would throw it to the second baseman he would throw it to the shortstop and then he would throw it to our first baseman and then by that time our third baseman was back up close to the mound mm-hmm. when our first baseman would throw it back to him uh-huh and then he would always put the ball in my glove mm-hmm. he didn't toss it to me he would always just stick it in my glove and i think what really got that going was one of the games in high school when I went in relief and I started striking everybody out like constantly. <laughs> um, they got that routine going and nobody wanted to break it. Right. And so, I mean, these guys were, you know, my, my outfielders were getting pissed off because they were getting bored. Mm-hmm. They were getting tired of having and coach yelling at them to get ready on every pitch. And they're like, why? I can hear them yell, yelling back at the coach. Why are we getting ready? It's not like they're doing anything. I mean, I think it was like the first 16 or 17 guys I faced that game, I struck every single one of them out. Mm-hmm. And it gave me a – and at that point in my time, it gave me a really big head because one of the guys that played on that team, I played summer ball with. And he called me up one day and he goes, I really don't want to tell you this, but I'm going to tell you anyway just because I think it's funny. He said, you know how we're playing y'all again this next week, right? And I was like, well, yeah. He goes, you realize that for the last two weeks, our batting practice, a portion of it, has been completely revolved around you. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, well, you made us look so bad and it pissed our coach off. 
that a portion of their batting practice every day was their coach putting the pitching machine in front of the mound, well in front of the mound, turned up almost all the way and making these guys try to hit off of it. Oh, my goodness. He said their batting practice was designed to get them to be able to hit off of me. Oh, my gosh. That's got to give you a big head. Oh, my head. I couldn't fit through through a two-door I mean, two door walkway. I mean, it was – I was just like, <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> but it, I thought that was really funny because they were just – I've never heard of anybody doing that for me before, yeah. which is pretty cool. Now, talking about little superstitions, um, I didn't grow up playing sports. Um, that's not something that one did that I did. Um, I grew up with horses and on you know doing you know rodeos and riding drill and things like that. And I didn't have little superstitions, but now that I think back to it, I had little little quirks and little ticks that I did um, whenever I was nervous. There's these rawhides that hang off your saddle. Mm-hmm. you know, as decorations, and I would take them and I would flip them, and I would hit my saddle with it so I could hear it. You know, kind of like you were doing with your, with with your my glove. glove. Yeah. And, and I would take those and I would flip them, or I, I would mess with them, or I would tie them, or I would, you know, just, just fiddle and fidget with them before we went out and we did our drill routine. And so I guess everybody has those little things that they do to kind of calm themselves down and kind of center themselves before they go out and do whatever Th- Those doing. drills and stuff that you did with these horses... Right. Uh-huh. How much time do you have to put in with a horse to get them to do the things you want them to do? Because having an animal so well trained to do some of these things is just mind boggling to me. Now, the way that I remember it, and, and my mother would have to correct me on this. We went to drill practice twice a week and it was an an hour or an hour or two hours um, every time we were there uh, that we would be practicing these drill routines um, with the horses. And, and that would be, you know, practicing making patterns, practicing, you know, walking. I, I, don't, I don't know if you understand how hard it is to get a, a line of horses to walk in a straight line next to each other, shoulder to shoulder. That's right. and to keep it straight. That's really difficult. You know, it's it's like having a marching band but with horses. Because you're always going to want one that's going to be just slightly ahead of the other ones. Exactly, and it's difficult because when you're in a marching band, you can count your own steps and you can do. But with a horse, the horses are all different sizes. Um, you know, they're all their 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 steps are, are a little different from each other. So it's not like you can count steps with a horse or. You know, you, you just have to control them with the reins as, as you're going. And you're learning to make patterns. You're learning to um, weave in and out of one another in a pleasing way, I suppose. That's the only way I know to describe it. Visually pleasing. Visually pleasing way. Um, but, you know, we would go to these practices twice a week. But I rode my horse, Sissy, I rode her every single day. And, um, you know, I can tell you I was not one of the favored kids on that drill team uh, due to a bunch of stuff that I won't go into. But my horse was the, was the best trained horse out there because I could literally slip her bridle off, hang it from my saddle horn, and do all of the stuff we were supposed to be doing. Because she still knew what to do. She, she knew what to do because I practiced at home. 
Well, that's about like that that horse that a girl that I dated in high school, her dad had. Um, he had a cutting horse, though. Whenever he had to go gather up the cattle, or whatever the heck you call it. I don't mm-hmm. know, I'm not a cowboy. <laughs> um, he would get his dogs, because the dogs would help. He had like three or four of them. Mm-hmm. And he goes, I said, you're about to go out there and do that right now? And he goes, oh, I ain't got to do nothing. I was like, what? He said, well, come out here and I'll show you. Mm-hmm. So I walked out there with him. He got his dogs out. His dogs were kind of just hanging around. And the dogs knew it was time to go to work the second he pulled the saddle out. Mm-hmm. He went up. And this horse was just kind of just doing its own little thing. He got this horse, put the saddle on the horse, opened the gate. The horse, the horse and the four dogs went and got all the cattle mm-hmm. and got them up to the barn to, for whatever it is he was doing. I think he was taking some to a sale or something. I'm not sure what he was doing. Probably taking them to the auction barn. But he didn't have to get on the horse to go get the cattle. Right. Because the horse knew what to do. And those are high-dollar horses, the ones that can do that. <laughs> I was there one night. He had a guy come up the driveway. He was outside talking to him. He came back in. He goes, whew, that was a tough amount of, that was tough turning away that kind of money. And, of course, my girlfriend's mom was like, well, what do you mean? Well, he just tried to buy so, and I can't remember what his horse's name was. And she goes, you didn't sell him, did you? He goes, oh, no. There's no way I'm selling that horse. Well, how much did he offer you for? He just offered me ten grand for this horse. Yeah. And he's like, and this was an old horse. This horse used to be, like, black, and it was, like, all well, gray. Well, considering the fact that it was 98, 99, at this time period that you're talking about? Not quite, but it was in 94. 94. Okay, so 94. $10,000 for a horse in 1994 would be like spending, you know, $500,000 on a horse now. I ain't that dang old. I'm just talking in terms of what this horse could, could do. Could do, yeah. You're you're spending half a million dollars on a horse like that. Yeah. In but some it was cases. Just, he's like, there's no amount of money to be worth me trying to get another horse to do that. Yeah. He says, I've never had a horse that would do that. Yeah. He said, I said, well, how did you figure out this horse could do this? He said, I had the dang gate open one day, and I was putting the saddle on the horse, and as soon as I cinched that saddle up. He took off? The, the horse just took off. And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, crap. And then the dogs took off with the horse. And he's like, he was calling it and it wouldn't come back. He's like, what the hell is going on? And a few minutes later, like he was putting the saddle on to do something else. Mm-hmm. And the horse and the dogs went and got the cattle <laughs> and brought them <laughs> back up. And the horse was kind of looking at him like, okay, here they are. And he's like, uh, wait, what? <laughs> And so he tr- and he tried it out again just to see. And every time, if he didn't get on the horse before he opened the gate, mm-hmm. then if he got on the horse and the horse was just like the horse knew, okay, well I got to go do something else this time. Right. But if he wasn't on it, and the gate was open. He was going to get the cattle. horse went to go get cattle. Now with with my horse Sissy, it wasn't is it wasn't quite like that. Uh, she wouldn't do her own little drill patterns in the in the the pasture out front. But anytime I got on her, she knew it was time to, we were working. Time for business. It was time for business. And 
we could go out there and I had her trained to where I could give her a verbal command to go to the right, a verbal command to go to the left. I could use my legs to give her cues. I could shift in my saddle to give her cues. And I could slip her bridle off, hang it from the, from the saddle horn, and I could do every single thing we did on precision drill. And there's two different types of drill team. There is the costume drill where you have the entire team out there and they're just doing, you know, like, like a marching band pattern. Right. And where, they're, where they're doing different pleasing patterns in the, you know, aesthetically pleasing patterns in the, in the arena. Um, it's a little more loosey-goosey. Um, it's more about speed and, and, uh, and flashy. You, you're wanting to be flashy during a, during a, a not, costume not drill. Not so much about precision. Right. Now, the precision drill was only for elite riders that had horses that could handle these specific moves that you had to do. And you had to do them in tandem with every other horse in there. So you were all doing a side pass at the same time. You were all doing a backup at the same time. You were all doing a do do at the same time. And getting a horse to do do is very difficult. And you were all, all doing all of these things. And there were, I think, 10 of us on the precision drill. And I made the precision drill. And I was, the, I was actually the leader of the precision drill at one point. And I could take her bridle off, and we could go through the precision drill just by ourselves. That is so cool. And it, it was a lot of fun. And it, <laughs> we actually had, like I said, I wasn't one of the favorite children. The, the woman who, who uh, ran, the, ran the drill team and came up with our routines and, and you know, told, okay, told which kids, okay, you're in this position, you're in this position, you're the leader, you're the, you're the follow-up, you're the, you know, whatever. She didn't like me. And I remember we were playing Simon Says one day with our horses. And you had to do everything that she said. Simon Says, gallop. Simon Says, uh, do a lead change. And a lead change is when, if you look at a horse, they always, the, the last foot that falls on the ground, that's what lead they're in. So if they're right. in a left lead, their left their left front foot will hit the ground last. If they're in a right lead, their right front foot will hit the ground last. Okay, so you had to do flying lead changes, which meant you basically the horse was skipping. Right. Which is is really fun to watch, and um, you know she would have us do all of these different specific things, and if you couldn't do them, then you were out. Well, it got down to just me and one other girl. And we did everything. Just, I mean, just we were bang, bang, bang. Everything she asked us to do, we got our horses to do. And then she said, all right, Simon says, ground tie your horse and walk away. Well, when you ground tie a horse, you drop the reins and they're supposed to stay there. Right. So I got down off of Sissy. I dropped the reins and I said, stay. And I pointed my finger at her. And then I, I turned around and I didn't look at her. I walked away and she stayed. And the other girl's horse followed her. <laughs> and it, I will never forget to my dying day what that woman said. I was 16 years old. And she goes, well, I guess cricket won. And I was like, you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to give me credit. You don't want to give me credit for what I just did. I just, I just. My horse just outrode and showed everybody. off. Showed up everyone. Showed of those. up every single person on this drill team, and you don't even want to give me that amount of credit. 
And it wasn't too much longer after that that we quit the grill team because it was just, it was too much politics and just yeah. too irritating. But that was a huge part of my childhood. And that was a huge part of, of me growing up, you know, was getting to be on this drill team and getting to have these relationships and ride these horses. And it was, it was just, it was so, we got to go to Abilene every year for the 4-H uh, drill team competitions. And, you know, it was just. It, it, we, I want to go horseback riding again. We do need to go horseback riding. But tell them about the last time you rode. Because it's me. tough for me to find a horse because, you know, He's I can't big, I can't just I can't just ride a little quarter horse because it looks funny. Vaughn is six three. And so, but one of the, I think the last time we went and rode, it was a friend of hers that had these horses that were these are what Tennessee Walkers, half Tennessee Walker and half Standard Bread. And this horse that Vaughn was on, I guarantee you, was every bit of eighteen hands high. And, and those whatever, of you who and, don't know what horses are, that is a really freaking huge horse. I mean, I'm 6'3", and I couldn't see over this horse's back. This thing was massive. I think his name was like Samson, too. It was Goliath. Goliath. And he was gorgeous. Beautiful, he was black and solid black. black. No, he, no was, he, was, he was black and white. No, he was black and white. Okay. Yeah. But it was a beautiful horse. I mean, and I got up there, and I was just like, if I have to stay up here for the next two years, I'm happy. <laughs> Because it was just, it was so empowering being on such a huge animal like that. I mean, it was it was one and smooth riding. That's what I was fixing to say. Those standard bre- the standard breads and the Tennessee Walkers all have this weird kind of herky jerky looking weird gait uh, where they move their feet weird, but it's smooth. I mean, you can't you can't hardly tell that you're on a horse because you're not bouncing at all. Yeah, that was that was fun. Now, these, these horses that we were on, they were actually rescue horses. Um, they had been rescued from these breeders that were breeding show horses and abusing them to get them to um, perform. Right. And they actually had, because when you're dealing with a standard bred or a Tennessee walker, one of the, one of the big things uh, that they do is they pick their feet up real, real high in the front. Um, and it's one of the showy it's one of the showy ways that, that these horses show off. And sometimes the horses don't pick their feet up as high as people want them to. So they will put acid on their feet to make it hurt to make it hurt so that they'll pick their feet up a little bit higher. And these horses all had acid burns on their feet uh, from where they had been abused That's just before sickening. yeah, before this couple um, rescued them, which was pretty awesome. Okay, and, uh, now, now guys, we we are into these stories. We can keep telling stories. It, it, it's for just hours. funny because before <laughs> we got this started, we didn't have a whole lot of stuff to talk about. We we're sitting here trying to think about well, what all we're we going to mention in this, and she, you know, and Cricket kept telling us, "Well, look, you know how we get into rabbit holes. We're not going to have a problem." And apparently, we did have a problem because we have gone over on our time. Just a little bit. A little bit. Much. We've been trying to keep this thing under an hour. And we're at almost an hour and three minutes right now. So, unfortunately, this is going to seem weird, but we're going to have to cut this sucker off. (laughs) But we've got a lot of stuff we can talk about next week. Uh, We want you guys to hit us up on social media. We're at the Shays Lounge on Instagram. We're at the Shays Lounge on Twitter. Uh, You can find me, Cricket uh, Cricket Shay, on Twitter. Um, And find me on Facebook. And I am going to get me... 
a Facebook to, and a Twitter as well. We we keep saying that, and then we never sign. We'll do it when we it. when we sign off on this episode. We'll get on there and we'll get me one, and so I can be connected to the public. To the public. Public. <laughs> <laughs> but we enjoyed this episode, just like with all the other ones. Uh, it's fun sitting just talking. Um, hopefully, we get some listeners again. Uh, if you like us, let us know. If you don't, let us know. And if you do, you know. Spread the word a little bit. Absolutely. Tell somebody. And if you get somebody else to listen, man, let us know that you got somebody else to listen. Maybe maybe there'll be a, a referral bonus in it for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll even give you a shout out. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you guys, and we will see you next week. And we love you. Bye. <laughs>